That last chord is my favorite. Just that. Okay. Hey. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Calvary. If you're checking us out online, uh, thanks for being with us today as well. Hope your couch is comfy. You got a cup of coffee. Uh, and if you're here with us, thanks for coming out again. We're trying to serve folks who are kind of in two different big camps about where you feel comfort level-wise, um, but we're all part of one church, and it's a privilege to try to serve uh, all of you, wherever you may land on that spectrum. Great to see some new folks in here with us with your masks on, who maybe this is your first time coming back out. Thanks for uh, checking out what we're doing here and being part of uh, our community gathered together live and in person. So like Brandon said, we're excited about what's coming up in the fall. We said this a few weeks ago, one of the things that our staff and elders and leadership team we're really, really working hard. We're in a season where it's very easy for people in all sorts of churches, because I'm tracking with what's going on in a bunch of churches and different pastors. It's really easy for people in a bunch of different churches to just disconnect <clears throat> and disengage. It's super easy to disconnect and disengage, and so we're trying to work really hard to flip the switch on that and to create opportunities and ways for our church, whether through online or in-person or hybrid, for us to be a church where people have ways to still continue to connect with others in relationship and gathering together. And not just connect, but that's a huge part because it's really easy to become... kind of be part of what God's doing at Calvary and in his kingdom in this season uh, and to put some skin in the game in that. And there's lots of exciting opportunities to do that, like Brandon said. And the baptism thing, uh, I've never baptized in mask, a mask before. So this will be amazing. I'll like expense some, I'll wear like a snorkel mask. I think that would be spectacular, right? Except I guess my mouth would be exposed. But we're really excited about baptisms. Um, the work of God in people's lives hasn't gone on hiatus because of a, a virus. And there are people in our church who are very excited to share what God's doing and how their story with their walk and their journey with him. And so we're going to hear from some of those people. If you'd like to be part of that or learn more, <clears throat> next Sunday there's a class after this service just to kind of talk through what baptism is theologically, what it means, why we do it, some of the ways we do it. it if you come, we're not going to dunk you there, okay? But it is something we require of people who want to eventually be baptized. So if you're interested in publicly sharing and being obedient to Jesus, part of your story and your walk with him through baptism, then we'd encourage you to check out that class and consider being baptized this season. We sent you an email with some forms, and you can also check out information on the website about that. So we're excited about that opportunity. So we're also excited about what God has. Uh, God does not want to waste our time, and God wants us to know him better. And so every week we have an opportunity to see what he said to us and to come expectantly about how that might shape us. And so I'm going to pray for God to work through his spirit, and then we'll jump into um, what he's got for us today in today's verses. Father, I am grateful that you've not left us alone, <clears throat> that we don't have to guess about you, uh, but instead you've revealed things to us so that we can know you. And so thanks for the opportunity we have to regularly come and to honestly hear from you. And that's what we're going to do now. And so uh, I come dependent upon the Holy Spirit. You know what every single person in this room is going through. You know what every single person watching online is going through. And uh, you want to shape us and grow us, and you have truth for us. So please work through your text, and through your spirit again to continue to shape us to be the people you want us to be. For the glory of our King, Jesus, who is in charge of everything and who is holding everything together 
and who can be trusted even in this moment, we pray. Amen. Well, fall is my favorite time of year, but when it comes to winter, I'll probably say that's my favorite, then spring will be my favorite, then summer. I mean, that's got to be my favorite, right? But maybe fall really is my favorite. I love, I just love the change in the leaves. I love throwing on your hoodies, the whole deal. And there's something cool about leaves coming down from trees. I don't know, maybe you remember when you were a kid or maybe you've got some grandkids or some kids, uh, but but it's kind of a cool deal, right? The leaf comes down and then what I remember doing as a kid and I've seen other kids done, there's these moments when sometimes kids try to catch that leaf, right? And the leaf's coming down from the sky and you kind of, the little kid looks or you look or you kind of think you know where that leaf's going to end up and where it's going to land, but then a puff of wind comes. And it kind of blows that little leaf over in this direction. And so then the little kid scampers over there and they're like, oh, it's coming this way. And then another kind of puff of wind comes and it blows the little leaf over here. And and the reality is when leaves kind of fall that you can't always guess when it's coming off the tree where it's going to land. Because it's this process of it floats down here and then when the wind gets it, it pushes it over here. And then sometimes unexpectedly, sometimes somewhat frantically, it just kind of then moves over here. When the wind, and it's this kind of zigzaggy process of, of coming down and moving. And when it starts coming down, you don't know where it's going to end. And many times it ends up in places you didn't think that leaf was going to land. And many times you can't predict where that landing spot is going to be. And I think that's a great image of our lives uh, as Christians. Because I think many times when we begin our lives as Christians and we look, we, we, just like when that leaf first comes off the tree, we have no idea where the ending point, where the story is going to end up. And many times God comes through his spirit like, and he blows us in a certain direction and we think we know where it's going, we think we're ending up in this way and we start and then all of a sudden unexpectedly another comes and we end up over here in our lives as Christians. It's hard to predict where it's going to end up. There's twists and turns to come that we never see coming, just like that leaf when it comes down. In the past few weeks, what we've kind of been thinking about is that idea we've been thinking about in this moment today. Where is God blowing you? Where is God leading you, right? How is he causing you to engage? What does he want you to do? What impact does he want you to make? Where is he leading you to serve? We've been talking about all those things because we've been going through the book of Ephesians. And at Calvary, we go through a book of the Bible, paragraph through paragraph. And we've been asking that question because what we've seen Paul tell these people, this theme for the past three weeks or so, is this theme of don't waste your life. And so as we've been thinking about that question, we've been thinking about, okay, what path does God have me on? What can I do in this moment? Where is he leading me? Where is he taking me? Whom can we care for? What do we do so that we don't waste this moment, so that we don't waste our lives? But there's a second question that we've been asking that question because that's where the text has had us for several weeks. But there's a second question that today, for the first time, Paul kind of layers on to that, right? As we think about the question, what does God want me to do? How do I move into this moment? How do I not be passive? How do I not be complacent? How do I not waste it? There's a second question today that that Paul is going to layer on to that, that God wants us to be asking. And here's the second question is this. What kind of person does God want you to be? as you do the things that God wants you to do. What kind of person 
does God want you to be as you do the things that he wants you to do? What kind of attitudes does he want you to have? What kind of actions, what kind of heart is he moving you towards? And this morning, even if you feel like, yes, Smith, I feel like that leaf. Like, I feel like God's got me on some journey. And when I first started, I thought it was going to end up over here. But there's been twists and turns. And I don't really know where that journey is going to take me. I don't necessarily know what it is that God wants me to do and how to engage and how to impact. And, and what's my purpose? Maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, I'm still trying to figure that out. And that's awesome. But here's the deal, even if you're still trying to figure it out, this morning there's going to be three very clear things that there's no confusion about. Because there's three very clear truths about what God wants us to be as we're thinking through and moving towards the thing that he wants us to do. So we're going to engage in that conversation. We're going to think about it. Last week we ended up, when we were talking about the Holy Spirit fills us, right? This, this ongoing conversation of Paul saying, hey guys, make the most of this moment. Don't be foolish. There's an opportunity, there's a need right now, so step up and don't waste your life. And then there was great news for us that we don't need to try to figure that out on our own because God's given us the Holy Spirit to help fill us and guide us. And so last week, this week's text, we're going to be in Ephesians 5, verses 19 through 21. Ephesians 5, 19 through 21. <clears throat> Let's remember where we ended up last week in Ephesians 5, 18. We were talking about how the Holy Spirit helps us discern and know our purpose and what God's doing us. And we ended with this clause at 18. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with with the Spirit, this reality that in some way the Holy Spirit, a member of the Trinity, that if you're a Christian in some way that is, I can't even wrap my arms around, but the text tells us again and again that the Holy Spirit is with you. And here's just a takeaway for us this morning. You know what that means, this one kind of thought that this, you're not alone. You're not alone. And I don't know what you're going through. And I don't know what you're trying to figure out. And I don't know where you are on that journey. But I do know God hasn't abandoned you. I do know that you're not by yourself in that because the Holy Spirit is there with you, filling you, indwelling you, walking with you. No matter what your emotions may be screaming at you, God hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't left you, and you're not alone. As we think about what the Holy Spirit does to fill us, how does he guide us, how is he involved in what type of person he wants us to be, let, let's think for a minute about that word filled again. That's, we had that conversation last week. Let, let's just hit it again this week. Well, what does it mean to be filled by the Holy Spirit? The, what we said is it doesn't mean that you need more of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian at salvation, boom, <clears throat> fully filled with the Holy Spirit. You have the completeness of the Holy Spirit. You're not like lacking one meatball and you need to get a little more of the Holy Spirit, okay? Filled kind of means a few different things, though. There's one idea where it means the way you put water in a cup. And you fill it up to the top, and there's nothing lacking. It's completely full. That's one reality of what it means to be filled. A second idea of what it means to be filled that we didn't touch last week is, have you ever, have you ever cooked anything? 
Okay, there's a lot of Grubhub fans that are eating out fans, right? Let me tell you something. I love to cook. And I like, and the fa- I particularly enjoy cooking autumnal type food. I love to cook me some chicken soup. I think I, ma- I think I make the best chicken soup. My kids disagree. My kids have obviously some further education. My father does not cook as frequently as I do. That's being a very gracious son. My father does not cook as frequently as I do, and yet somehow my kids think that my dad's chicken soup is better than mine. I stay up late at night troubled by that. I don't think it's better than mine, but maybe you've been cooking chicken soup. Maybe you've been making sauce, and you've been in a rush, and you have to put salt in it, and like, you know, a teaspoon, a tablespoon, a quarter cup, they're all so confusing. And you just, have you ever put way too much salt in something? Or maybe not even way too much, but the way that when you put salt into a dish, the salt permeates through it so that you taste it, so that it's infused with it. The salt fills it. It's another kind of meaning, takeaway of the way the Holy Spirit fills us. He fills, we're filled with him like you put water in a cup. We're filled with the Holy Spirit so that he permeates our actions, our personality, ourselves, the way salt permeates a dish. And the third way we talked about is to be filled by the Spirit is this idea of this wind and this sailboat and how the wind fills the sail so it billows and then leads it in places to go is the with another takeaway as the Holy Spirit fills us. That captures what this means. And what Paul is going to say is this. As the Holy Spirit fills us as Christians in some ways not, to help us know what our purpose is and what God has for us, there's also ways that he's trying to shape who we are and what we act like and what our attitudes are and what our perspectives are. And we're going to see three of those in just a minute. And as we think about the three things that we're going to see that are the results, the outcomes of the Holy Spirit working in our life, a couple of big ideas is this. The things we're going to look at, the fact that there are things that the Holy Spirit causes to happen in our lives means this, that the things that we're going to talk about may be a little counterintuitive for some of us. There may be things that we don't naturally drift towards. There may be things that we don't naturally want to do. We need the Holy Spirit to help us do it because we may not want to do it on our own. It may seem weird to us. And the second reality is this. If these are things that the Holy Spirit is working as he fills us to cause us to be like, then let's not fight it. Let's not go against it. Let's not dig in our heels against some of these things. So what are these things? What are the results? What are the outcomes of the Holy Spirit fills us? When I was in my studying, right, I'm like, okay, the Holy Spirit fills us. A member of the Trinity is in me. It's like the salt. It's like the cup. And and he's going to work, and there's going to be this result. There's going to be this outcome. There's going to be something in my life that comes because the Holy Spirit works. And I'm... Thinking to myself, what is this going to be, right? This has to be like, this has to be something extraordinary. There's going to be something that comes and something that happens that's unusual, that's atypical, that's extraordinary. And I got myself all hyped up for it. And so I read the verse thinking it was going to like change the foundations of the earth, that this is what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. This is the attitude. This is how I should act. And then I read this verse, the first result of the Holy Spirit working in my life is this. He says this, the result of that, right, be filled with the Spirit, and the outcome of that will be this, verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And I'm thinking to myself, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. Like, 
the first thing that God inspired Paul to write as an outcome, a result of the Holy Spirit working in my life as a Christian, in your life as a Christian, is that we sing? I'm like, huh. It seems so common. It seems so ordinary. And yet, obviously, it's something that's so important because it's the first thing listed as something that the Holy Spirit wants to see happen in your life if you're a Christian and an attitude and an action that you're to have. So the first thing that the Holy Spirit wants you to do is this. Sing with other Christians. Sing with other Christians. Not that you're going to have some amazing supernatural experience and fly through the air. Not that 42 people are going to become Christians the moment you smile at them. But he's writing to a bunch of Christians a long time ago, and he's saying, you know what? Part of how I want you to act, part of what I want you to do, is I want you to sing. Sing. You know, I started thinking about this, and, huh. And I started thinking back about moments in the Bible where people sang together as the people of God. And this book is filled with examples of people who are the people of God singing together. When the Jewish people came out of their oppression and being held as slaves in Egypt and God delivered them from that, you know what they did together? They sang when there'd be a leader of the people, a military general who would protect the people from an enemy and they'd have victory in a battle, you know what that leader would do with the people they would sing. When the temple was built, a place to worship God, there were 4,000 musicians. They had a 4,000-person worship band to lead the people in singing. When Jesus is having his last meal, Knowing that literally in an hour or so, he's going to be arrested, unjustly convicted, and then murdered. At the end of the last meal and the last moments that he's going to have with all of the 12 guys that he's poured into their life for three years, you know what Jesus' final act as that last evening gathered together was? They sang together. They sang together. And, and some of you may be thinking, oh, this is easy, man. In my car, I got the Bluetooth. I throw my Spotify playlist on. I sing like a madman in my car. Well, that's good, right? But, but that's not what this is talking about because Paul tells us where we sing, right? Addressing one another in singing. We sing among each other. We sing with each other. See, a critical part of what we've just done of our service is singing together because it's a chance together as a community, yet each individual member together affirming certain truths about who God is. It's about us joining together and as one and yet as individuals saying, this is who my God is and I'm going to sing that and proclaim that and affirm that with a group of other people. Life is hard and we need to be reminded of truths that are good 
And one of the ways God's given us to do that is by singing together what we've just done and what we end doing. This is important. And there's way too many pastors. I'll, there's way too many teaching pastors who do what I do. And there's way too many people sitting in the chairs or pews in churches this morning who think to themselves, well, the sermon's what matters. The sermon's the main meal. Like that singing part, that's just the warm-up. That's just like, that's the opening act for the real thing that happens. You know what? That is unbiblical. And because it's unbiblical, it's wrong. What, what, what we just did together is no opening act. It's not an appetizer. It's a critical part of what God says exemplifies his people who are filled by the Spirit. And they sing together to affirm things. Last night, it's 150 of us gathered in a park, 150 of us, Calvary people who call this our church home, gathered in a park for a night of worship of God through singing. And if you weren't able to come because you RSVP'd and weren't able to RSVP, we had space restrictions, so we apologize for that. But for those of us who are here, there, man, it was great. And I don't say it was great. I had nothing to do with it. I was just a dad and a husband who showed up to eat a free sandwich and to be with people of my church. And little kids were running around, and together we sang. Before that kicked off, I got a text from one of my kids down in Alabama uh, in college, and my wife and I were processing through, is, are they being impacted by COVID and what are we going to do? They're in Alabama by themselves. And you know what? With all the anxiety about that and turmoil and worry that I felt with a dad, moments later, I was with you. And together we were singing truth about who God is and how he can be trusted and how Jesus can do all things. And it helped me refocus and recenter and, and trust. God uses singing. God wants us to sing together. And there's this other clause about where we sing from. Verse 19, right? Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. This isn't describing some robotic, empty, formulaic, just like when you move in power, everything can happen. Guys, you do wonder, what am I getting for tonight? I got to get ketchup. I got to, you do wonderful things. Oh man, what time does that game start? It's, it's not just moving our lips. <clears throat> it's our hearts are interacting with our singing. Our love for God is interacting with our singing. Our singing helps further and solidify our thoughts about God and our gratefulness about God and our love for God. And that means if we come from our hearts in it, that if we come together as a church community and when it's time to sing, if you're bitter or angry or upset, then, then your heart's got some static that may impact what God wants to do in those moments. And who do we sing to? We're not singing to each other, right? If you're sitting next to me, I ain't singing to you, which should be a blessing to you because my voice is terrible. Terrible, right? So, but who do we sing to? We sing, addressing one another, psalms and hymns, making melody to the Lord. 
This is the first outcome of what God wants Christians to be like who are filled by the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is helping them to do. And so the question is this, right? There's all that teaching about it. We spent 17 minutes talking about it. Here's the question. Do you sing? Isn't that profound? That's what a seminary degree gets you right there. A simple question like that. But do you sing when you're here with us? And if you don't, why not? Why not? God, according to this verse, this, is, this ain't me. God wants you to sing. And as the Holy Spirit works in our life, the first result is singing. And so if this is something that God wants, let's not fight the Holy Spirit's work and desire in our hearts. Let's sing. What's another thing that Paul says, hey, this is going to be a result and outcome of this filling of the Holy Spirit. What's another type of person that he wants us to be as we're trying to figure out what it is that God wants us to do? Well, we see that in verse 20, the next verse. So next thing that the Holy Spirit does that he wants us to be is an attitude to have is this. So we sing. Second thing is this. Giving thanks always, verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second thing that the Holy Spirit wants me to do and wants you to do and helps us do is this, give thanks to God. Give thanks to God. Today, at 11.15 on the nose, what is one thing for which you can be thankful? What is one thing right now for which you can be thankful. As you spend time looking back on the week, which did we spend more time doing? Did you spend more time being thankful for what you have? Or did you spend more time being upset and frustrated about all the things that you wish you had that you don't have? And this was a circuit breaker for me this week. There's a lot of things that uh, if I could script life differently, it'd sure be nice to have that or do blah, 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 blah. And, I, and I, I wrongly spent a lot of time thinking about that. And this kind of kicked my tail this week thinking, Smith, you got, bro, you got to readjust. You got to be thankful. This week, did you spend more time thinking about all the things that you don't have and being bitter about what you don't have? Or did you spend time being thankful for what you do have? If thankfulness is not normally part of, of you, right? If, if it's not normally part of me, we've got to think about why is it that we're not thankful? What's at our heart that keeps us from being as thankful as we should be? And sometimes people aren't thankful because they think to themselves, well, ho, 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 this stuff that I have, Man, I deserve it. I deserve it. Like, I'm entitled to it. Like, I've played the game right. I've done the thing. I've da ba da ba ba So why I deserve this? Why would I be thankful for something that I deserve? See, some of us think we're entitled to some certain things that we ain't entitled to. And some of us have been given blessings by God that we think, well, I've, I've deserved this. So, yeah, he better have given it to me. Instead of realizing it's the grace of God that's blessed us, some of us, maybe it's not that we deserve it, but other of us may not be thankful because we think, well, I've, well, whoa, I've earned this. I mean, yeah, I have a nice house, but I worked my tail off the first 15 years of my thing. Sometimes we may think we've earned it. 
And sometimes this attitude of I deserve it or I've earned it keep us from being thankful and we think it's all about us when none of it's about you. Not a single shred of it's about me. It's about reasons that we can't always understand that God has shown favor and grace and mercy and blessed us with gifts, with abilities, with different things that he's given us today and for us to think that we've deserved it or entitled to it instead of being thankful for it, we need to have a circuit breaker and readjust. And then the hard part about this is that when we're to give thanks. It doesn't say giving thanks when everything's good. See, see if when you walked out the door here in just a few minutes, every, whatever it is that you wish you had this week or the wish you way your life was this week, if you and I walked out the door and there in the parking lot was that with a bow on it, Man, we, we'd be easy for us to be thankful, right? If your kitchen was redone or your test results came back great or your kid moved closer or you had the house or the dream job or $45 million sitting in a bow in the parking lot, we, there would be a lot of thankful people, which is good. It's easy to be thankful, though, when we get what we want. It's sometimes really, really hard to be thankful in moments when life doesn't go the way we wish it would, and yet what God tells us is give thanks always and for everything to God. We thank God for giving us a job, even if it's a job we can't stand going to. We thank God for the gift of today, even if today your health isn't what you wish it would be. And perhaps... The reason we give thanks in all circumstances, in all moments, is because what it helps us do is remember who's in charge of all moments and all circumstances. And it's a way for us to, and even in a hard times, say, Father, you are still in control. And you have still given me things. You are still present, and I will thank you. And that is another mechanism that reminds us that God is sovereign. And the son is holding everything together. And he is in charge. And he is there. And we have to trust him. What else are we going to trust? We're going to trust him. Even when it doesn't make sense. And we're going to thank him. Even when it doesn't make sense, because even when it doesn't make sense, he's still there. And if that is the only thing for which we can thank him for that, we will give thanks. God wants us to give thanks. If you're 45 years or older, you'll know this person's name. If you're 45 years, well, you may know this person's name. If you're 45 years or younger, you'll have no idea who I'm talking about. There was a, there's a woman named Joni Erickson Tata. She was at an early age, athletic, vibrant, and she did what if you're a kid, you've heard your parents tell you not to do, and there's a reason your parent tells you not to do that. She was in a diving accident. And in a moment, she became a quadriplegic. And for decades, She's been a quadriplegic and written a lot about suffering and a lot about pain and a lot about her own journey and processing the whys and the understands. And she makes this comment about it. She says, giving thanks is not always a matter of feeling thankful. It's a matter of obedience. And as the Holy Spirit fills us, 
one of the outcomes of that will be <clears throat> we give thanks. And then the final thing that God says, hey, this is what I want to have you be about. This is something, a characteristic I want you to see as individuals in a church. This is a perspective I want you to have, and the Holy Spirit's working in this. Last one, verse 21, final thing that the Holy Spirit helps us do that we should be about says this. And as a church, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What God wants you and me to be about is about people who, to fellow Christians, we, we submit. Now, what does that word mean? And I'll just say something. That word has been used in horrible ways for, in different moments by male chauvinist Christians. Okay, So we need to kind of have an understanding of what this word means. The word originally comes from the military where two people of equal ranks, a general, right, one will choose to let the other one take command. Two people of equal rank, one will put themselves on the other. It's this idea of voluntarily putting yourself under the attitude or under the, the authority of another. And what Paul is writing to these Christians a long time ago and saying to us today is, hey, that's the attitude that we should have towards each other. Submitting. Well, what's the third thing, the final thing that the Holy Spirit wants us to do and helps us do? It's this, put other Christians above yourself. Put other Christians above yourself. You know what the opposite of that is in a church setting? The opposite of a church setting is demand other Christians satisfy your rights. Put your preferences above other people. Be angry that you're not served the way you think you're entitled to being served. Dominate and bully other people to get your way. Work politics in a church. And that's the opposite of what He's saying here, Paul wants to make sure that <clears throat> Christians and churches understood this. And so several different places he brings this idea again. You should scribble these verses down. Philippians 2, 3 through 4, he puts this challenge out and he says this to Christians. Do nothing from selfish ambition, but count others more significant than yourselves. Do nothing from selfish ambition but count others more significant than yourselves in case we miss it. He says this in Romans about how we're to treat each other. Outdo one another in showing honor. My focus mustn't be whether you're honoring me in a church setting as part of this church community the way I think I deserve to be honored. The, the situation is, am I honoring you? Am I serving you? Am I counting you more significant than me? And am I acting out of that? That's how God wants us to treat each other. That's an attitude that we should have. That's what we should be being as a church. That means when you're sitting here, this isn't Amazon.com. You can't just order what you want on an app and with your one-click setting, get it here tomorrow. It's about when you're sitting here that what you're thinking about is the single mom to your right. And how do you outdo her in showing her honor? It's about the lonely grandparent to your left. And how do you consider them more significant than yourself? It's about the person behind you who loves Jesus, but last night got wasted. How do you put their needs above your needs and care for them and love them? them. 
Why do we do this? Why? That's like countercultural. Well, we do it, he tells us, out of reverence for Christ. What determines whether we do this is not whether you particularly like the person who you're having to submit to. You do this because you love Jesus. You do this because you love Jesus. And what Jesus himself said is, hey, in a culture that thinks you're crazy, do you know how they're going to know I'm real? It's by your love for each other. And the way in which we do love each other and the way in which we do not love each other says a whole lot about what we think about Jesus. So the question, I guess, is this. In this moment, in this cultural moment, with people on either side of the mass situation, with people on all sides of political situations, how do we do this? Like Paul says, even when we think that other Christians wrong. How do we still honor? How do we still submit? How do we still serve? How do we still consider them more important than ourselves? What Paul's saying is as the Holy Spirit fills us and we're a group of community of Christians, we sing. We give thanks. And we consider each other more important than ourselves and we serve each other out of that. And I guess the question is, imagine what it would look like for a church to actually do this. Imagine what it would look like for a church when they gather together as a community, as people are going through their own pain and their own stories and their own anxieties and their own blessings. They come together with other people of God and they focus on songs and they sing those songs from their heart. And let me just tell you, it don't matter if you don't know the song. And I'll tell you another thing, because I got gray in my hair, I could say this. It don't matter if you don't like the melody of the song. Because you can focus on the words of the song that give you truth about God and you can affirm those and you can sing. And what would it look like for a bunch of Christians to be thankful and to give thanks? And imagine what it would look like if a church, if people in a church actually considered other people more important than themselves. What would a church of people look like who sing, who give thanks, and who outdo each other in showing honor? In many ways, Calvary, we as a church do many of these things well. But I want to be a church like that. I want to be a church like that. And just think about what God could do and would do through a church that's like that. Man, let's be that church. And whether we be that church or not, you know what that has to do with? You know what's going to determine that? You you and your desire and willingness to do this and let the holy spirit do that's what's going to determine what we become together so let's go for it let's be the people that god wants us to be father thank you that right now we know things about what you want us to be like and how you want us to act and how we can represent you well and thank you that you've given us the holy spirit because a lot of these things father go so against what i'm naturally bent to do but yet this is what you want me to do. 
And so you've given us a spirit to help us do this, and I pray that you will help us, Father, and move us to sing well together, to be thankful in our lives, and to truly consider each other more significant than ourselves. And thank you, Father. May we represent you well to a community that's searching for hope and love and glorify Jesus. Amen.